Okay. Sorry. My wife Go ahead, yelled something. So, <laughs> All right. Welcome one and all to episode 132 of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we have killed again. And that's right. Uh, another another contender goes down. You and I are on a roll. Um, so if we're if we're propping up your team, it might be a bad thing at this who, point. Who did we knock out this time? Uh, just looking at it, we're you know going. We're running down the list of of teams that are falling out and uh, kind of moving backwards as as this goes on. Um, Penn State <laughs> in probably the worst game I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know any way other to describe that. Yeah. How do you go to nine overtimes and not score? And I mean, is that rule the worst? I. I like the old-fashioned seven-overtime game like we had with Joe Burrow and Kellamond a couple of years ago. Uh, in the new fangled overtime, they, they just go after, I think, the second OT. They just let both teams try two-point conversions over and over again. It was brutal. It was brutal, painstaking. But I couldn't take my eyes off it. Even though I had work to do and I had places to be, I still put everything off until that ninth overtime was over. So that tells you what kind of sick, demented person I am. Um, I think we might have also killed Oklahoma State as well, although we kind of predicted we both, their demise. Yeah, we both picked them to lose, so I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to. We're not going to take the blame on that one too hard. We can take the credit for being right on our pick. Yeah, exactly. And, which and, I guess you would have only heard on Patreon. So that's a good time to plug. Two bucks a month gets you the bonus episode every week. Four bucks a month, you get the article as well, and tons and tons of players that we're covering so far. So. Um, let's get into our top 25 real quick. I mean, our top five, and then we're going to get to the weekly topic, which I think people will enjoy. Yeah. This week, uh, number one, still with a bullet is Georgia. Um, we're, we're trying to jinx them just for the chaos, but I don't see anything until, until that SEC championship game kind of being in their way. Would you agree with that? No, I mean, it, I don't think anything's changed since we, we've kind of been saying that from the get-go. If, if Clemson was good and they could get past Clemson, we found out Clemson's not good, but they still did that. And uh, it looked like pretty smooth sailing, and they were able to even win some games with their backup quarterback. So, you know, they, they, they can't screw it up. They got uh, Florida this week, and we'll talk about that on the Patreon show, but otherwise it does look like they're on track to get to that SEC championship game. So, and, and I would favor Alabama to be their opponent. So that looks like it's going to be for a playoff spot or maybe two playoff spots. Oklahoma number two by default. Or, you know, they, they looked bad this weekend again. Um, played behind quite a bit against Kansas. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't, go, they didn't go full Penn State, though. No, but to be fair, Illinois is better than Kansas. So, yeah, I hate having Oklahoma number two. I, I, I think we do it to be fair to them because they're a power five school with an undefeated record. And uh, the AP has Cincinnati ahead of them. But we've discussed our logic of not having Cincinnati ahead of Oklahoma. But really, you know, flip a coin. Um, I would like to see the two 
teams play head to head because I think Cincinnati would have a, a great shot at beating Oklahoma, especially because Cincinnati's offense has taken off in the last couple of weeks. So uh, you mentioned on uh, the Patreon show, I think a couple of weeks ago that Desmond Ritter might be a Heisman con- contender. Um, so I guess spoiler number three, we have Cincinnati. They rolled again and uh, being in conference play in the AAC, they seem to have a pretty clear path. And it, it could come down to a debate between whether they're deserving or a couple of one-loss Power 5 teams are. And that's going to be a really heated debate this year because Cincinnati's already number two in that AP poll. So something to look out for. So Michigan number four, the um, you know the, the big undefeated team right now. When you look at it, you have – they have a huge matchup this weekend with Michigan State. Um, you know, Sparty is coming off their bye after a really unimpressive performance against against Indiana in a, in a win. Um, but Michigan's been steady if unspectacular, I think is the way I, I would – put it over the last basically since their their win over Rutgers, right? I mean, you you have some gaudy scores, 38-17 over Wisconsin and and 33-7 over Northwestern, but it's been kind of workmanlike, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so I think we're trying to be fair with these rankings. And Michigan has won all of their games. And so has Michigan State. So that's going to sort itself out on Saturday. I'd say those are probably number four and number five for us right now. But they're not the fourth and fifth best teams in the country. And um, you can look at common opponents. And you mentioned Rutgers. 20-13, to 13, Michigan beat them. Ohio State annihilated Rutgers. It was 14-zip uh, within the first couple of minutes of that game. Uh, Michigan State had, a, I think, a 20-15 win against Indiana. Ohio State went into Indiana last Saturday night in the rain and destroyed Indiana. So... Ohio State's clearly, uh, to me, on from the eye test, they're the best Big Ten team. They haven't lost a Big Ten game. They lost at home to Oregon, though, and the other two teams haven't lost yet. So fair's fair, but that's going to sort itself out here in the coming weeks because not only do they, do Michigan and Michigan State play each other, um, but Ohio State gets to play both of those teams as well. So this is really something that's going to be sorted out here very soon. So um, you could put Ohio State, you could put Alabama into the fifth spot. The AP certainly, they have Alabama back to four, even though they lost to, at the time, unranked Texas A&M. So we could do that, but we're deciding to try and be fair and put the undefeated teams in there. And so that's what we got. We got uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, Cincy, Michigan, Michigan State. One of those teams for sure is going down on Saturday. Let me ask you a hypothetical, and we're going to get to it as the season kind of un- unwinds itself, and it, and we think it's going to take care of itself. But Wake Forest, if they go undefeated, do they get in? Um, I, you know, I don't. I do not think Wake Forest gets in over a, a one loss, loss Bama Big Ten or, Ohio or State. SEC, right? And I don't. I don't think at this point Wake Forest can get in over Cincinnati either because... So, so even though it is technically a Power 5 school, you don't think that they would get in? I mean, I know it's Wake Forest, and so it's not imp- 
impressive, especially in the ACC this year, to go undefeated. They still got UNC, NC State, and, Clem- and Clemson to go. So I, I think it's going to handle they itself. Out, they'd have to play Pitt at this point, right? That seems to be the team that's on the trajectory from the other division. Right, right. So, so it'll be – I guess that's the interesting thing to me is – It's a tough question because I don't think they're going to go undefeated. But if they do, they're going to cause a lot of uh, arguments. But I, I think at this point – because they're 13th. And yeah, that they're way, long, way. Yeah, it's a, that's a tall ladder to climb, and you've got these other one-loss teams with more, you know, for lack of a better word, pedigree. You know, for, for more, you know, longitudinal track record. These these teams are stacked up ahead of them, and Cincinnati. You've seen that the way they've played the last couple of years. They've been a really good team, but they've had to earn their way into these votes. So in years past, they wouldn't have been this high either. So I think that's that's the road that Wake faces, and I think it's too tall in order for them. When you look at this draft class, one of the positions that kind of was lacking last year, and it looks to be better this year, is that edge rusher, pass rushers in general, whether it's edge or interior. When we look at this this class, the guy that came in kind of number one, um, at, at least as the edge and, and, and a consensus top five pick, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, he's still the number one guy, right? Like despite missing three weeks, despite, you know, not having massive numbers this year, he's playing well. I mean, four games, four sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss, playing very well when he's been out there. Um, He's still the number one guy, though, right? Yeah, I would say so. I think he's the number one guy in the entire class. And I wrote about this in the uh, box score scouting article for Patreon this week. But uh, the tendency of draft next, and we can include ourselves in these conversations too. The tendency is you've got these you know clearly very good players, and so you get bored talking about the the clearly very good players. So what do you do? You either try and poke holes in those guys. Or you move on and start talking about, you know, the mid-round quarterbacks that you think could be risers. The, the home runs you can hit with the small school guys. But Thibodeau is a legit player. I, I don't know that he's along the lines of a uh, Miles Garrett or the Bosa's or Chase Young. I'm not quite sure he's quite that level, but he's right near there. If for nothing else, like he's right there with those guys. So what you have... It hasn't been since 2017 that we've had a, a an edge rusher or any position go ahead of quarterback. Since 2017, it's been quarterback, quarterback, quarterback the last four years. You know, starting with uh, Mayfield in 2018 and then uh, down on down the line, right? So here you have Thibodeau in the role of Miles Garrett, but you have the quarterbacks kind of in the role of in my opinion, the 2014 class. So this is a year where, to me, it's a no-brainer that Thibodeau is the number one player. You know, uh, I I made this argument back in 2019. thought the Bengals could have taken Chase Young over Joe Burrow. But, uh, you know, that that's a tougher argument to make. So I think that uh, here you've got the chance to uh, get a generational player in Kayvon Thibodeau and I mean, I say that in quotes, but 
you don't want to spend that number one pick on a quarterback when you got a player like Thibodeau and your quarterbacks are, are with all due respect, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and uh, Kenny Pickett. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you got to really feel like you've got the players to surround one of those quarterbacks with, you know, maybe um, – I can't even think off the top of my head a situation that that fits one of these guys, you know. But you know, when you look at it, Thibodeau gets some high praise. Um, you know, we've seen comparisons to uh, Demarcus Ware. We've seen um, comparisons to Miles um, Garrett. Like you said, I don't think he's that athletic. He's not that but, big either. He's about. 25 pounds lighter by most estimations. Yeah, they're, they're listing him at 6'5", 260. Okay, so 15, give or take. Uh, I When I look at him, when I watch him play, I think he's a little more athletic in terms of what his testing numbers will be. So, But he reminds me a lot of Chandler Jones with that kind of length, quickness, and um, that lean kind of build and, and everything. That's... What I've kind of looked at him like, and you know, Chandler Jones is a guy that's gotten over 100 sacks in his career in, in less than 10 seasons. So that's not a bad, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, Your ability to bring it back to the Arizona Cardinals never ceases to amaze me. And with that right. in mind, I misspoke a couple minutes ago. I said 2019, I meant 2020 with Chase Young and Joe Burrow. 2019, of course, was your franchise savior, Kyler Murray. Right. Well, and don't forget, people wanted them to draft Quinnen Williams uh, number one overall and and keep Josh Rosen. So, wow, that's a, that's always uh, that's always fun. Um, the rest of the class is it's strong, though. Rosa. Right, right. <laughs> the The rest of the class though is strong. You've got you've got guys in um, Ohio State, Zach Harrison, uh, Purdue. George Karloftis, um, you've got Aiden uh, what Hutchinson from Michigan, who's playing out of his mind this year. Yeah, it's this a guy sh- we featured a few weeks ago. And it's uh, a strong class overall, with a lot of different talent around it. When you look at it, is this you know? Who would you rank as as the number two guy in this class? And are we going to see a a run again on pass rushers after last year where it seemed like they were lacking? Um, Yeah, I I think there is going to be a a run on pass rushers this year. And I think there will be uh, players elevated up to the into the top five into the top ten. You mentioned Hutchinson. And he's probably, at this point, on a lot of big draft boards, he's probably the number two. But I think there's a good argument between Hutchinson and uh, George Karloftis to be the number two defensive end. Uh, Karloftis, as I said over the summer, he reminds me of one of the Bosa brothers. Like, he, he could, you could call him George Bosa, and he'd fit right in. And uh, he's looking really good. I, I wanted to talk about Karloftis, though. Because PFF actually came out with their defensive end rankings. And there's a couple notes on this here. First of all, this was on 1018. So this was about a week ago. And they had Karloftis defensive end six. 
And uh, we just saw that there, uh, Trevor Sikma, who writes for PFF now, he had been with the Draft Network. He had Karloftis going 32 overall in the mock draft, I think to your Arizona Cardinals. And then uh, yesterday, or it would be Sunday, we're taping on a Monday. You'll hear this on a Tuesday. But on Sunday, Joe Marino from the Draft Network did a mock draft and had Karloftis at pick number nine overall. So I'm, I feel like I'm more in line with Joe Marino on this. We had him number five overall in our mock draft that we did uh, to the to the Detroit Lions. Obviously, the Lions look like they're going to be picking a little higher than that. Um, to your point, though, you know, would you take a Malik Willis over, you know, a George Karloftis at, at number three or four? Like, is Malik Willis going to be the guy that, that fixes the Detroit Lions? I mean, I, I, that's, that's That's kind tough. of a teaser for, for what we're going to talk about on Patreon later this week because, you know, you've got a quarterback who's coming out from a not even a, a Power 5 school, and that's kind of the, the discussion we're going to have this week. But um, we have seen teams do that in, very recently. In fact, last year when there were a group of five quarterbacks drafted two and three overall, Zach Wilson and then uh, Trey Lance. So, you know, 2020 was a weird, weird college football season, which makes 2021 a weird college football NFL draft. And I'm not sure. I think we might normalize a little bit this year and see some of those quarterbacks get pushed back a little bit. I want to also talk about PFF had DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M. They had him listed as an edge. Is he an edge or an interior lineman for you? You know, you watch him this year. He's he doesn't seem as athletic as as he was projected, and and even as he played um, at when he was you know coming out of high school. I'm not sure he stands up enough in the in the interior, though. He almost seems kind of like a guy like Cam Hayward, maybe was remember cam coming out like a little oversized or no no sorry stefan to it that's what i was thinking of yeah stefan to it you know at notre dame a little undersized to be a defensive tackle a little oversized to be a, a defensive end and it took to it two or three years to really get into his you know find himself as a player He's a very solid NFL player now, but I don't think he's ever been a, uh, you know, an all-pro type. And, and Leal's going to be an interesting case study to to see where he fits in in this class because he's a super talent. But I think you've got to have a team that's got that doesn't have these, you know, set defined um, expectations for you know edge interior type of guys. Well, PFF still loves Leo, and um, they have him ranked above Karloftis as an edge. So it, it's funny, you know, you mentioned uh, Tuit and Cam Hayward. Well, Cam uh, Tuit, I think, has credited Cam Hayward with kind of helping him along as a pro, helping him learn and, and actually become a better player in a similar role. Because, you know, Hayward was also a little bit of a tweener coming out of Ohio State, but he, he really kind of caught on more quickly once you got to the pros. Um, you, speaking of Ohio State, you mentioned Zach Harrison. 
And Zach Harrison, he keeps showing up in these first round mocks. I'm not so sure because I'm not even so sure he's going to declare. He's had kind of a quiet career to this point as far as like highly touted Buckeye defensive ends go. Like he's nowhere, you know, Chase Young came out 16 and a half sacks his junior year. Uh, the Boses were both lighting it up from their freshman year on. Whereas Zach Harrison's got a guy that has flashed. He's flashed here and there. He had a strip sack in week one against Minnesota. That turned into a touchdown scoop and score by Haskell Garrett. This week, I thought Zach Harrison had his best game of the year against Indiana. He had a sack. He had another tackle for loss on what was, I guess, a, defined, uh, a designed quarterback run. So that wasn't credited as a sack, but a tackle for loss. And then he also had another sack wiped out by a kind of ticky-tack penalty down the field on Cameron Brown. So could have been a three-sack day for Zach Harrison. Regardless, he had a very good good game, and he looks to be playing more and more snaps as the season goes on. I'm happy for that, but I'm still not ready to put him in the first round because he just had I – mean, he's a phenomenal athlete, 6'5", 270. He's going to test through the roof. But he just hasn't put it together in terms of production. Maybe Saturday was a jumping off point. Yeah, and but we've seen, you know, traits plus um guys at at you know big universities that produce talent um really show up. Uh, you know, you look at it, you've got Jason Owa, um, Danielle Hunter, you know, these guys coming in and producing at a high level. Um, despite not having great stats. And Ohio State is a producer of elite pass rushing talent. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, I know the gripe may be, well, he hasn't done it yet. But at the same time, you look at who they've produced, you look at his pure athleticism, and I think... I think he's a tough guy to overlook, and and he fits that mold of end of the first round pick that that we've seen where they take these athletes. Um, you know, going back to even like a Bud Dupree, who you know wasn't at a at at a you know blue blood university, but elite athlete with with you know decent numbers and he's had a good NFL career at getting drafted in that range. You make a good point too, because I was a defender of, of uh, Odafe Owe coming out of Penn state. You know, I, I, I thought that he was a guy that you take a chance on, but you know, I, I think I gave him a pass on some of the production aspect of it because of the weird 2020 COVID shortened season. Whereas Zach has, He's played the full season. You know, I think he was banged up early in the year, but um, he wasn't making as many plays behind the line of scrimmage. But here, you know, I'm, I'm really, really encouraged by what I saw last week because there he was making three plays, definitely behind the line of scrimmage. And I think, you know, he was all over the field. He was in every time you look, number nine was there. So uh, very encouraging. If he puts together another few games like this, I'm going to have no problem with seeing him go in the first round. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit harder on him because I've seen every game that he's played, but uh, this is definitely a player that you want to keep your eyes on. And uh, speaking of risers, you know, we talk about Harrison as a potential riser, 
But what about this kid from Notre Dame, Isaiah Isaiah Foskey, who he's got he wasn't even in PFF's top ten last week in edge. 6'5, 260. He has eight sacks and three forced fumbles for the year. He had two sacks and a forced fumble against USC the other night. This is a huge breakout year for him. And I think this is a kid who ran a 4'8, 31, 32 inch vertical out of high school. Those numbers aren't eye popping, but he was about 230. Now he's 260. We know Notre Dame has a great strength program. They've produced some freak athletes over the last few years. Isaiah Foskey, he has my eye, and I think there's if, if this continues, there's no way this guy doesn't declare and go in the in the first round, maybe even in top fifteen. Yeah, and you look at last year. I mean, some one of the things that we talk about is uh, rising production, and you know, as a freshman in three games, didn't put up any numbers. Last year, played in nine games, and you know, had four and a half sacks. This year. He's got seven and a half or eight sacks, like you said, three forced fumbles. He's playing, you know, he's growing into that position, which is one of the things you look for in pass rushers. You know, it's either it's either they produce or they they maintain. Um, and, and so to see him, you know, kind of raising that production level, like you said, the giant growth in terms of size he's a guy to watch um but that does also beg the question in a class that seems really deep would you would you bet on yourself to come in and be you know one of the guys um that gets maybe at the end of the first round or or on day two or would you want to come back when you expect you know, mostly everybody but Kyle Hamilton to be back on a team that's only lost one game this year. Who's your quarterback, though? So I say Spencer Rattler. I mean, what? Sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. I say you declare, though. If you're Foskey, if if we're talking about Zach Harrison could possibly get in the first round, I think Foskey's right there, too. I, I think Harrison's going to test out better. But, I mean, he's... He is on another level in terms of athletic testing. We talked about him over the summer. He ran an 11-second 100-meter at like 250 pounds in high school. So there's no question that Zach Harrison is an elite top-notch athlete. But I think Foskey's going to test very, very well. You know, think of some of these guys that came out last year. Um, I don't think maybe he's going to reach the, the peak of like a Joe Osai did when he tested for Texas coming out last year. But – I think he has a chance to be, you know, 36-inch vertical, 4'6", 5", 4'7". Those are great numbers at 260. Think about that. I think that's yeah. the target where this guy – and I should say he ran a 4-3-4 shuttle at 233 out of high school as well. So there's some agility. There's promise of agility there too. And I think, you know, if you're powerful and straight line and fast and strong – you don't necessarily need that extra agility. If you have that extra wrinkle, you can really make things happen. We we missed one of the teams we killed uh, earlier in the week, or last week, I should say, as Thursday's big game is, is Troy at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina went down to Appalachian State, and 
but Coastal Carolina is still getting 19 points in this game. They're, you know, clearly one of the better programs in the in the league, uh, but had a, a bad night last week. On I believe it was was it Thursday? Was that Thursday well? or Wednesday? I can't yeah. remember, but it was it was definitely a, a midweek game last week, and it was in prime time, and it was. In and a- we were we were worried about that because it, you know even though Maryland crapped themselves in the same situation, that's a tough game for anybody, and you know Appalachian State's not a bad program, and they were up for that game. Big time. Uh, their quarterback, Chase Bryce, double transfer, had probably the game of his life. Uh, throwing for over 340 yards. Their receiver, Malik Williams, had 10 catches for over 200 yards. By far a career high for that guy. Um, just a really well-played game by App State. And now uh, Coastal, they get to go back home. They've got all those players we talked about last week. But now they're facing Troy. And uh, Troy is no slouch here, but yet this is a game where they are 19-point underdogs. We talked about Troy last week because they have two pass rushers who are legitimate players. And I think 19.5, I think 19 points, sorry, is too much. Yeah, um, Coastal Carolina hasn't, you know been as dominant as they were last year when you look at it and i think that's one of those situations where you see them they're going to come out win this game 35 you know 21 type of thing they're not going to cover the 19 in my opinion so did watching last week i i had some questions yeah obviously javon Hiley, their receiver he's very prolific productive guy for coastal but i didn't see him getting great separation down the field they weren't able to get Isaiah Likely involved until later on in the game. Um, they don't have that running back in C.J. Marable that they had last year. So this is all not to disparage them. You know, I think Grayson McCall has played very well for them at quarterback. But when I look at – we talked about Troy last week. When I look at uh, Solomon and Jubinor, the two bandits, the two pass rushing linebackers they line up all over the place and blitz and wreak havoc i think troy is definitely going to cover this this is another upset watch game i did miss one name we wanted to mention as we talked along the defensive line um and we mentioned it you know with demarvin leal being a question mark on whether he is a you know true edge player or if he is a, a interior defender one guy that's kind of the the head of the class along the defensive line, defensive interior is Georgia's Jordan Davis. Uh, you know, a little undersized at 6'6", 340 pounds. But, <laughs> He's undersized for a tank. Yeah. Um, we've, you know, we've often asked the question on guys that are this big, are they, what's the word I'm looking for? What what's the out range of outcomes for guys this big? Um, because it seems like, you know, for for a lot of these guys, they don't pan out as as dominant as they are in college. If that makes sense, not saying they're bad by any means, but you know, 
they don't they don't end up being as dominant and it I, I do think a lot of it is that they don't always have the athleticism um and, and obviously when they get to the NFL they're dealing with guys that are just as strong as they are so if if you listen to us for a long time if you go back with us many years we kind of talked about this when uh Danny Shelton was coming out then later the conversation came up again when Vita Villa was coming out and uh we see this you know Derek Brown and the question isn't can these guys play the question is not can they just wreak havoc with their size because you'd see it Jordan Davis he's He's uh, bombing the interior offensive line every time uh, teams are trying to run on Georgia. He's a big part of why Georgia is so dominant. But right now, you think about college guards and college centers, and the guys he's blowing off the ball, he's going to be seeing a different caliber of, of offensive linemen in pro. And the other thing you talk about with defensive line is production. And I know that's not – what you're looking at when you're you're talking about nose tackles, you're not talking about a guy who's going to have 10 sacks, but he has three three tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. Those numbers don't jump off the page. Certainly, again, we've watched Georgia plenty. We see what he's doing. But the question is, how high do you take that guy, especially in a, in a class where you have all these other edge rushers that are sack masters that are causing problems behind the line of scrimmage and actually making, finishing the play? I think, you know, I, I look at him as a guy that can go play in in Cleveland as a, you know, as a, a rotational guy that's going to play 50 to 60 percent of the snaps. You know, they don't have a ton of need at skill position players. Um, you know, they've invested along their offensive line. And, and so you can get a guy that might be able to help a lot against a team like the Baltimore Ravens, right, in the run game and and free up free up the linebackers and things like that but yeah i i you know if he's expected you know if he goes top 12 top 15 and they're expecting him to be a an 80 percent player that's able to push the pocket and and rush the passer consistently while he is definitely a, a force to be reckoned with at georgia i don't think that's what his game has been at georgia no, and, and, and uh, that's the thing. If you can get 50 or 60% of the snaps out of a guy this big, then maybe he very well is worth that top 10 or top 15 pick. But uh, the, the problem we had with Shelton coming out was that he was playing 80% of the snaps in college. And, and a lot of times when you watch them on tape, he was exhausted half the time. And then when he got to the pros, he was playing 35% of the snaps. So is, is Jordan Davis a better... Uh, athlete, a better conditioned guy than Danny Shelton. I think that remains to be seen. The word is that Jordan Davis is a, a major freak, at least strength-wise. So we'll have to see about the other part. You, you don't need an Aaron Donald out of this guy. But the thing is, you know, everybody that's hyping him, everybody that's, hype, that's uh, very high on him right now is saying, forget about position value. This guy's that good. Well, we don't forget about position value on this show. I mean, do we start the defensive tackles don't matter? Like we we've been we like, kind of like started that in like twenty fifteen. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean it's it, it's that's the thing. Um, you talk about guards 
You talk about interior defensive line, and then you you think about where you can find these guys later on in the draft. So as opposed to dynamic receivers, cornerbacks, quarterbacks, things like that, even I would even argue these dynamic running backs that we see these days. That's, you know, this is a conversation that will go on and on into draft season, but we wanted to bring it up today because Jordan Davis is really getting a lot of attention right now. We got a hot take that fits into this conversation pretty well. Um, at Risky Talk on Twitter, um, looks like he's a Detroit Lions fan. Obviously, you've got you know the guys we've talked about: Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, George Karloftis. Makes the claim this is the best defensive end class in history. Um, I don't know if he was around in 2011. He sounds very young. But I don't know, man. There's like Von Miller and J.J. Watt got drafted in the same class. That's probably the best one in history, wouldn't you think? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't have thought this. I I think this one's really good because last year, especially off the heels of last year where we were kind of questioning and struggling to find who was the – edge number one until like after people did athletic testing and here we have a pretty clear cut idea of it you know at least where we're sitting right now but uh yeah this is it's funny like you're gonna just call something the best in history that just seems like you said a take from a very young person um i certainly you know we 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 can't be revisionists here we can't just you know, but Vaughn Miller was a super highly touted player. And J.J. Watt, he uh, was a dominant force in the Big Ten. Should have gone higher than he went. And well, well, don't forget. So in that class, we have Vaughn Miller. We have uh, Alden Smith. We have J.J. Watt. We have Robert Quinn. We have Ryan Kerrigan. And Robert uh, Quinn's still, still sacking guys every week. And we have Cameron Jordan. And, Still a great player, yep. And and Muhammad Wilkerson and Cameron Hayward, so all drafted in the first round. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just gets a little. Like I said, hot takes, hot takes happen. <laughs> I think they they happen more when we we used to do hot takes and uh, they, they seem to be organic. I think now they almost seem to be intentional a lot of times. One, one more hot take just because it's on this subject, but um, NFL Mock Draft Database on Twitter at NFL Mock Draft DB, um, they did a mock with the regarding where all the Georgia defensive players fall. They have uh, nine players getting drafted in the top 110 picks, which is an absurd amount of talent. Two first-rounders, Jordan Davis, and another name we didn't even mention tonight that we probably should have, Adam Anderson. Um, And and when you look at it, sorry, two first-rounders, two second-rounders, three third-rounders, and then two fourth-rounders. Is that a hot take in that, I mean, that would be a historic draft, and that would... It does coincide with the fact that this is one of the best defenses we've probably seen in the last 
decade um, in college football. But, I mean, nine top 100 picks. The hottest take is that they have JT Daniels going 105th, and he's been hurt. He hasn't, you know, he's been nothing special. Um, the, the other hot take here is that uh, Georgia prospects have not, like, really done very well in athletic testing leading into the draft in recent years. So are we going to see an uh, an inordinate number of, of athletic freaks coming out of Georgia for the first time in recent memory? Or are they going to test in a kind of pedestrian way? Remember, Richard LeCount was a highly touted safety. I know he, d- he did get into an accident, but then he, he ended up running a 4.8 at his pro day and uh, ended up falling to the fifth round to, to Cleveland. So... I mean, that's part of a hot take to me. They have George Pickens going in the second round. He's injured with a torn ACL. There's a ton of receivers in this class, as usual. Is is that going to happen? Is somebody going to take an injured Georgia receiver? That, uh, you know, they haven't really been prolific either. So it's, it's a hot take to have that many players in the top 110. I have no doubt that, any, that uh, all these guys won't. I, I should say I have no doubt that all of these guys will be drafted. But all, you know, like bottlenecked like that, I don't see it. Anything else before we get out of here? Just got to shout out my Pipers, my Hamlin Pipers. They fell to three and four. First time we're under 500 this year. We lost to Augsburg. This week, the Pipers go on a long road trip, two and a half miles down the road to uh, McAllister. McAllister's one and six. It's a de facto home game for both schools, and it's Saturday night at 7 p.m. Central. So be there, be square, go Pipers. And that'll be it from us. We'll be back later this week with the Patreon episode. So if you want to join that, make sure you uh, find our Patreon, and it's $2 a month. That'll get you the bonus episode. $4 a month gets you the bonus episode and Justin's uh, articles every week. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate it. And we'll be back next week to discuss more of the 2022 NFL Draft. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2.00. A month for our bonus episodes, four dollars a month for all additional content, something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.